Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1 and John chapter 15. Ephesians chapter 1 and John chapter 15. I'll start in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul's writing by the Holy Ghost to the church and said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Folks, I want you to realize you've already been blessed with everything God's got. I know that's hard for many people to understand and to accept. And, and it's evidenced by the fact so many people are praying for stuff that God said he's already given us. But if we'll appropriate the blessings of God by faith and just accept the word of God and take hold of what the Bible says is ours, they'll materialize and manifest in our lives. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us. Please notice that phrase, chosen. He's chosen us. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now I'm going to read from John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Same word, chosen. Folks, I want you to understand something. You're just as chosen as the 12. Hello? That's what it says. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now, so many times you get to verses of Scripture like this where Jesus is talking to his disciples and the church will say, well, yeah, but he's talking to the disciples. These are people that become apostles. Well, he's going to talk to the apostles, those that will become the apostles about the work that he's got for them to do. But he says that he's chosen them just like Paul said by the Holy Ghost, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, that you're chosen. So here's what chosen people do. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now, you know as well as I do that if we look at uh, uh, historical records, there were different ways that the apostles were used. Some of the apostles had a very short life. They were martyred early in the days of the church, the early day, earliest days of the church. There were others that lived long lives. There were others that traveled far distances. There were others that hardly ever got out of Jerusalem. So God had different work for them, but he identified the work the same way. He said every one of them was chosen. The word chosen means selected. Every one of them is selected for a specific purpose, and that, was, that purpose was to go and bring forth fruit, not just to bring forth fruit, but to bring forth lasting fruit, fruit that remains. Then he gives him a hint about how the fruit's going to work. He said, and whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Folks, I want you to understand, God has a plan for each and every person in the body of Christ, and that plan is a plan for ministry. He did not tell the disciples in John chapter 15 that you're special, and there'll be nobody else in the history of the church that'll be chosen like I'm choosing you. Because even though the work that you have, the plan that God has for you and the work that you have to do to fulfill that plan may be different than the plan that he had for the 12. It may be public, it may be private. It may be in a public type of ministry, it may be in a five-fold ministry, it may not. But God has just as important a plan for you as a part of the body of Christ as he had for the 12. Now I know man differentiates. In, a, in judges in different ways. 
We judge success in ministry by size, outward results, and so forth. God doesn't judge that way. God judges on one thing, and that's faithfulness. Remember the blessing of the Lord that we're to seek after, where we stand before him, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. God's never going to say, well done, big minister. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. According as he has chosen us. Everybody say, I am chosen. You're chosen by God to bring forth fruit. And that fruit's supposed to remain. And you'll do it in the name of Jesus. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now turn with me over to chapter 4 of Ephesians. And let's talk about this a little bit further. Verse 11, and he, Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Yeah, well, I'm not called one of those things, Pastor Mike. Doesn't matter. The purpose is not just to tell us what ministry offices there are, but to tell us the purpose for those ministry offices. Verse 12, here's why they were given. For the perfecting. The word perfecting means to mature. The word perfecting or the maturing of the saints. For or to do the work of the ministry. Now I want you to notice that it's not the fivefold ministry that does the work of the ministry. It's the fivefold ministry that equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. That means every believer is a minister. Does it not? There's no other way you can interpret that. Fivefold ministry is given for the perfecting of the saints. To do the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, the body of Christ is not going to be built up unless you do your part in God's plan for the church. Unless you fulfill God's plan for your life, the church, God's plan for the church is going to be lacking. Now, I'll remind you also over over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Well, let me read some of these verses to you rather than just quote them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man, not just fivefold ministers, is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith or special faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings, in the original both healings and gifts are in plural, To another, the gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one self-same spirit, dividing to every man, not every minister. Not every five-fold minister, not every apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Divided to every man severally as he wills. So I want you to understand what the Bible is saying, folks. It's saying not only have you been chosen just like Jesus chose the 12, ordained a ministry just like he ordained the 12 to ministry, 
called to do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ is built up. He's provided you supernatural equipment. The manifestations of the Spirit as He wills to do whatever His plan for your life is. We are all without excuse when it comes to doing the work of God. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Now, folks, whether you want to admit it or not, whether any of us ever want to live up to it or not, we're going to be held responsible to this. We're going to have to stand before the Lord and answer for either what we did or why we ignored his plan for our life as part of the church. Now, this has nothing to do with whether or not God wants has uh, called you to be a lawyer or a doctor or a garbage truck operator or whatever, teacher, nurse, whatever occupation you want to plug in there. It has nothing to do with that. You've got a specific work of God, a call of God on your life to build the church. I'm not just talking about the local church. I'm not talking about just working in the local church. Those are all fine and good things. But God has a plan for you, a plan for your life that he wants you to know about and walk in and fulfill so that the church at large, the body of Christ, is built up. There's a part that's going to be missing in the work of the body of Christ on this earth if you don't do your part. You'll have to answer for that. Or... You can be rewarded for fulfilling what God had for you to do. I recommend the award ceremony. Now I want to show you some things from the Paul's life. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about keys to being a successful minister. Now I'm not talking about keys to being a successful five-fold minister. That's irrelevant. I'm talking about keys to being effective in whatever ministry God has for you because he has something for you. Say this after me. I am in the ministry. You need to say that until you start believing it because you are. Now, I don't know what your part in the ministry is and you may not know yet either, but you're duty bound to find out. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read some uh, from three different portions of Scripture, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 26, and Galatians chapter 1, referring to some things, important events, significant events in Paul's ministry. And then after that, I'm just going to tell you some, point out some keys that made Paul a successful and effective minister, keys that I think we can all apply. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest, And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, Christians in other words, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. 
And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And as seen in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Same word chosen. He is a chosen vessel unto me. You're just as chosen as Paul was. Maybe not to do the same thing, but you're just as chosen. God has just as much a plan for your life as he had for Paul. Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue. Straightway means immediately. He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. Skip down to verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, that means attempted to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how that he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how that he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 26. He's standing before King Agrippa. We'll start reading in, uh, well, let's just start in verse 12. Pick up in the middle of the story. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of the things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that, it, that is in me. Whereupon, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Now turn with me over to Galatians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 11. 
Paul said, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. Now, let's point out some things in here and, and uh, just take a few moments and make some observations about, about Paul's ministry. First of all, Jesus told Ananias that Paul was a chosen vessel, chosen just like you, chosen just like he chose the twelve, ordained just like he ordained the twelve to go and bring forth fruit, and fruit that remains. And of course, that fruit will come. Work will be done in the name of Jesus. But now let me ask you a question. We just saw that Paul said in his own words that he was called, separated from his mother's womb, and called. I want you to understand something, folks. God called Paul to the plan for his life before Paul ever thought about persecuting the church. And the persecution that he brought against the disciples at Jerusalem, even to the point of being complicit in Stephen's stoning, did not alter God's plan for his life. Those that may have still been in prison at the time that Paul was converted because Paul put them there or played a significant role to have them put there. None of that changed God's plan for his life. God saw what Paul would do. He saw that there would be blood on his hands. And it didn't change God's plan for his life. Whatever you think you may have done that's altered God's original plan, it has not. God knew where you was going to mess up before you ever did it. And he called you anyway. He chose you. His plan never changes. God doesn't have multiple plans. Pick door A, B, or C. He's got one plan for your life. And he expects you to fulfill that plan. What's the first thing that we see about Paul? The first thing that we see about Paul in his ministry and being successful in ministry is that he pursued one main goal for the entirety of his life. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he asked two questions. His first question was, who art thou, Lord? Jesus had just spoken to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul answered back, asked him a question back. Who art thou, Lord? Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Then Saul asked this question. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Those two questions became the hallmark of Paul's life. The foundation for everything that he did. He wrote to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. He said, everything in my life that I've accomplished or wanted to accomplish or tried for or anything else, I count as nothing. Anything that people might say that he's a 
knowledgeable guy. He's an accomplished guy because of this. He said, I count all that as nothing. Because of the one thing that I pursue is to know him who art thou, Lord. To know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And Paul dedicated his life to finding out what Jesus had for him to do. And whatever it was, he did it. He blazed so many trails, it's hard for us to even comprehend. Because he was dedicated to finding out and accomplishing whatever Jesus had for him to do. Who art thou, Lord, and what would you have me do? That was the foundation for everything in Paul's life. Now, that foundation and that pursuit brought him to an appreciation of the word. To as great a degree as anybody we have in uh, any record of or any indication of. It became the hallmark of his life. It became the result of his life's work. Which we have collected as the Bible that we enjoy today. Now once he was saved. Once Ananias came to him. Laid hands on him. To receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. These scriptures tell us that immediately he started preaching Jesus. Immediately. One of the important keys of Paul's life is that he started where he was. He didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. He didn't try to go back to Jerusalem and tell everybody what happened. He didn't go back to the high priest and say, listen, we've been wrong about this Jesus stuff. I met him. He started where he was. If you're going to be successful in ministry, you're going to have to start where you are. There's so many people, people I went to Bible school with 35, uh, 40 years ago. They're still waiting for something big to come along. They were never willing to start where they were. Paul started where he were, where he was. He went immediately and preached Jesus. Now, what does Paul know? He's not even Paul yet. He's still Saul. What does he know? He knows Jesus is alive, and then he met him. All these guys a testimony. He doesn't have any revelation yet about who we are in Christ. All he has is a testimony. And folks, let me tell you something. You've got a testimony that needs to be heard. I know you may think, well, I don't have a dramatic testimony. And we seem to have an idea that the people that came from the lowest pit of sin are the ones that get people's attention and are able to reach others and stuff like that. And that's just not true. Because it's not the person that's guilty of the most sins that has the greatest testimony. In fact, the number of sins that a person commits or has committed in their life is not the cause of the hunger in their heart for the things of God. There's a hunger in every man's heart that's placed there by God himself. Irrespective of the sins you've committed. Irrespective of the things you've done or the things that you haven't done. It's a heart hunger that God places in there. The important thing about your testimony is that you found Jesus. And whatever the circumstances were in your life prior to you finding Jesus, whoever you're talking to will be able to relate to those circumstances. 
It's not about what sin you are delivered from. It's about finding Jesus. That's all Saul knew. Jesus is alive and I met him. I found him. Or he found me. That was Paul's testimony. He didn't start off telling everybody who they were in Christ. He didn't start off telling everybody about how we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He didn't have any of that to share. He didn't know any of that. He knew one thing. He knew that Jesus was alive and that he found him. And that was enough to cause people to want to kill him. Now, another thing about Paul, another key in Paul's life is that he started where he was, but then he stayed faithful in the silent years. He said in Galatians chapter 3 that he went into Arabia and then after a period of time returned to Damascus. Then he says after three years he went to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know if the three years is the amount of time he spent in Arabia or if he went to Arabia, came back to Damascus, and then three years later went to Jerusalem. There's no way to tell from the language itself. But we do know this. We do know that whatever Ananias shared with him fit in with the time that Paul was blind. For those three days that he was blind, he had a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, laying his hands on him and receiving his sight. Don't you know that somewhere along the way, maybe even at that very time, God dropped a dream in his heart to do something for him. Jesus said, go into the city and it will be told you there what to do. Well, we don't know what that means either. We don't know if Ananias told him what Jesus had revealed to him. We've got record of what Jesus told Ananias. Maybe that's the reason we have record of that. He told Ananias, go your way. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before kings, the Jews and the Gentiles, unto whom I now send him. Maybe Ananias told him that. Maybe Jesus just spoke something like that to his heart, pieces of that to his heart. However it went, however it worked, we know that Paul had some kind of vision in his heart. But the only reason that he would be led into Arabia is if the Holy Ghost directed him to go. Now, who knows him in Arabia? He's a man of reputation in Jerusalem. As far as the high priest is concerned, he's on the wrong side of the fence on this Christianity issue. But he hadn't even been to Jerusalem yet. I'm sure word got back to them. But he goes into a place where nobody knows him. He goes into a place where he is of no renown, no reputation whatsoever. And he stayed faithful during those years. Now, I wonder if any point along that time, when he was an unknown, when nobody's calling him to preach, Nobody's wanting him to do anything. Nobody knows anything about him. I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder if he's questioning, has God's plan changed? I wonder if he's questioning, has God brought me out here where nobody knows me so that I can't do something? How in the world are the things that he's put in my heart about standing before kings and going to the Gentiles going to work in a place like this? Or is Paul so special that the devil left him alone? He only bothers us about things like that. The next key in Paul's ministry had to do with the breakthrough that set him on track. 
for what God had for him. There are three things that happened. I'll mention two of them here. Both of them have to do with Barnabas. The Bible says that after he went to Jerusalem, comes back from Arabia over a period of time, some period of time, however long it was, he goes into Jerusalem and the, the apostles don't want to have anything to do with him. They're afraid of him. But there was a man that sought him out. His name was Barnabas. Barnabas went to him and brought him into the midst of the apostles, vouched for him, told of the things that he had done in Damascus several years before, at least three years before, maybe a lot longer, how that he had preached Jesus in Damascus. There's another thing that the Bible says in, in Acts chapter 11. When the church starts spreading out, there's a revival that takes place in Antioch. And the apostles in Jerusalem hear about the revival in Antioch. And so they send Barnabas to see what's going on. And he goes to Antioch and sees the, the great things that are taking place, the move of the Spirit of God and how people are being blessed and people are getting saved and so forth. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, and Barnabas set out to Tarsus to go to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Folks, what I want you to understand, and he brought Saul back with him to Antioch and they stayed there for a year teaching the people now there's a couple of things you need to realize here one is if Barnabas hadn't gone to seek after Saul Saul would not have been in position in Acts chapter 13 for God to promote him into the ministry that he had for him to go to the Gentiles the second thing you need to see about this first is the importance of what Barnabas did the second thing maybe the most important thing is that Paul didn't have to promote himself to make God's vision for him come to pass. There's a well-known missionary in years past that had a vision. And in this vision, he was preaching to a crowd of people and the people all had brown faces. So after meditating on that vision for a number of days and weeks and months, he determined that that must be the people of Mexico. So he made plans to go into Mexico and engage in some type of ministry. He got down there, ran afoul of the law because of the way that he went about doing things. They arrested him and gave him a choice to either go back to America or be thrown in jail. So at the border, being escorted by the police across the border back into the States, he shook the dust of his feet shook the dust off of his feet against the people and said, I will never come back to Mexico again. So he left that place, went to his next ministry call in Shreveport, Louisiana. He sent at breakfast one morning and there was a Holy Ghost filled Methodist minister that came up to him at breakfast and said uh, that had been to the meetings that he was holding there in town and asked if he could sit and talk with him. So he did. And he said, I have plans for a crusade, an evangelistic crusade in the Republic of Mexico. And this missionary thought, well, good for you. I'm not interested. He started trying to talk to him about the things that were planned and plans that had been made. And this missionary has already determined, he's already made up his mind, I'm never going back to Mexico again. So he goes back to eating his bacon and eggs, whatever he had. 
And the Lord spoke to him. As the man talked, the Lord spoke to the heart of the missionary. And he said, as surely as I sent Barnabas to seek Saul, I've sent this man to seek you. Listen to what he has to say. Well, then he started paying attention. Long story short, he went back to Mexico. Spoke in this evangelistic campaign that was set up. He just preached the simple truth that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same way Jesus was in Matthew, he is today. Same way Jesus was in Mark, he is today. Same way Jesus was in Luke, he is today. Same way Jesus was in John, he is today. People got saved, people got healed, people got filled with the Holy Ghost. It was a glorious meeting. And at that meeting, that night, that first night, there was a guy that had flown down from Seattle to be a part of this crusade. And this man said, I used to be a missionary to Thailand and now I'm a businessman. You need to go to Thailand. I'm sorry, not Thailand, the Philippines. You need to go to the Philippines. He said, if I pay your way there and back and pay all the expenses of the crusade, will you go? Well, the missionary joked. He said, I don't even have to pray about that. And he said, in that meeting in the Philippines, the man that was my interpreter was the one I'd seen in the vision and the people with the brown faces were the ones that I'd seen in the vision 15 years before. Now he could have tried for the rest of his life and not wound up in the place God had for him to be. Folks, when you find out what God's plan for your life is and start walking in it, seeking his plan and his purpose, he brings his plans to pass. You don't have to sweat it to make it happen. God will give you your breakthrough. What, about, what else about Paul's ministry? Well, we've seen that it started where he was. We've seen that he pursued the plan of God for his life. We've seen that he was willing to be faithful in the times of preparation. The silent years when nobody knew who he was. That brings us to Acts chapter 13. When God set him forth in the ministry that he had for him. And there was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Such as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. God promoted, here's the next key. God promoted Saul when he was ready. After he'd been prepared. There's so many things that we have opportunity to try to hurry beyond God's timetable. And we may think because of the time that is, has lapsed between the vision that we had in our heart and where we are today, we may think that we're behind, that we're running late. But God doesn't run on our calendar. And I've never yet found somebody who were genuinely ready for the next step when they thought they were. Including myself. We have such a tendency to think. 
Well, we paid our dues. We've done what was necessary. But so often the things that are necessary are brought about only by difficult times. And so very often we're trying to escape the difficult times that are the very things that God uses to prepare us. Now, nobody likes to hear that. I'm not looking for amens. Nobody likes to hear that. But folks, the only way that you can develop the patience that's necessary to be ready for what God has for you to do is to suffer. James said it this way, be patient. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, the trying of your faith, not the success of your faith, not the rejoicing of your faith, The trying of your faith works patience. Now, folks, it's real easy to preach the faith message in such a way where you only focus on the end results and the quick ones that come. The problem with that is you can leave people feeling condemned if they're not getting quick results. And some results just don't come quick no matter what you do. There may or may not be an explanation for that. But we cannot just cut out some random shape and say this is the way it's supposed to work for everybody. There are some things that take time. There are some things you're going to have to stand for a lot longer than you planned for. There are some things that you're going to have to stay steady in for a lot longer than you expected. Is it fun? No. Is it necessary? Absolutely. Now, if we get into trying to explain why it's necessary, then we can get under condemnation because something must be wrong with me. And the the reality is there are things that we just don't know. The further reality is we're not supposed to be judging success by the outward results anyway. See, God judges success not by what you receive. God judges success by what you believe for. Some trees grow quick. Some trees grow slow. The strongest trees grow slow. Most people plant quick trees, though, quick-growing trees. Because we want it to look big and we want it to look full just as soon as we can. That's what we want our lives to be, too. But the strongest trees grow slow. Let God promote you when he's ready. I wonder if Paul knew what he was talking about when he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. At what point did Paul become content? When he was in jail? When he's being beaten? At what point did he become content? We don't like to hear this kind of stuff, do we? But Paul learned by experience that contentment, or what we might say a form of happiness, 
is not created by circumstance. It's created by who you know your Savior to be. It's created by you knowing what the truth is and knowing that you've held fast to it. That's the contentment that brings great gain. Finally, the last key is that Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. It says, when Ananias laid hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, who appeared to you in the way, has sent me that I might lay my hands on you to receive your sight, that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul starts off filled with the Holy Ghost. And in Acts chapter 13, when he's sent forth by the Holy Ghost, I want you to see what the Holy Ghost directs him to do. Verse 4. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to the minister. And when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus means the son of Jesus. You decide for yourself why he's named himself that. Which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Now stop and think about this for a minute. Why in the world is this man that's called himself Bar-Jesus son of Jesus, trying to turn the deputy, Sergius Paulus, away from the faith. If he doesn't know anything about Jesus, then why would he be opposed to something he's never heard of? But if, in fact, he's named himself Bar-Jesus, going by the name of Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, if that has any implication or any bearing on the fact that he's heard of the Christianity, he's heard of what's happened in Jerusalem, he's heard of the signs and wonders and miracles that have, done by, have been done by the apostles, and he's putting himself off as some great person in that vein, then perhaps he would want Sergius Paulus to keep from hearing the truth of the message of Jesus. Just a thought. Now, what would you do if you were Paul? You know you've been sent by the Holy Ghost. You know you've been commissioned by God. You've put your time in. You now know the revelation, at least part of the revelation, of who we are in Christ. And what Jesus has provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. What would you do? I think I'd be inclined to take Barnabas and grab this guy by the neck and try to cast the devil out of him. I think I'd be inclined to try to handle this in a physical manner. And notice what it says. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thy enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, folks, God did not strike this man blind with sickness and disease. 
but his hand was upon him, and he was temporarily without sight. The Bible describes it as a mist and a darkness that fell around him. Can I ask you a question? Where's the chapter and verse for that? Is that what Jesus did? Do we have any record of the Old Testament prophets that did anything like this? Certainly not anything that's happening in Jerusalem. We don't have any record that's happening in Antioch where the revival is taking place either. What I want you to see is very simply this. The Bible says that Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe that means he was directed to the Lord to take the action that he took. Here's a man that through time and experience, through preparation, has developed himself to know what God wants him to do at the spur of the moment. And to conduct himself in even a way that might be brand new in the annals of the church. But he's learned to instantly obey the voice of his spirit. No wonder God chose this guy to write two-thirds of what we have as the New Testament for us to live by. Now, folks, I firmly believe if we'll follow these principles in our own lives to whatever degree we've ascertained and identified the plan of God for our lives, we'll be just as successful in what God has for us as Paul was. He had a single purpose. To know Jesus and follow him. He started where he was. He was faithful in his Jerusalem. He was faithful in the silent years. He waited for God to bring his breakthrough. He was prepared for God to promote him. And he was a man that lived full of the Holy Ghost. Those keys will make you successful in anything you do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your plan for our lives. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. Father, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that you would give unto each of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of your calling. And what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers? Reveal to us, Father, your plan and purpose for our lives as individuals like never before. That we might commit ourselves to know you and to follow you all the days of our lives. Thank you, Father, for making your plan clear and distinct to each and every one of us. We declare that we know your plan and purpose for our lives, Father. We declare by faith. Jesus said, whatever we ask the Father in his name, you'd tell us. So since we've asked, we declare by faith that we know your plan for our ministry, the ministry you have for each and every one of us. In Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Father, for showing us Thank you for making it clear. Thank you for leading and guiding us by the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for equipping us to do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ is edified. Father, we pray that there would not be one person that would miss heaven and go to hell because we failed to do what you have for us to do. 
top to bottom. We pray for a supernaturally effective and completely successful ministry in Jesus' name. Can you agree with that? Amen. Let's all stand. How many of you want to know God's plan for your life? And I do. That's the only thing I do want. Let's lift our hands and thank him for showing us. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for revealing to us. We declare that we know your plan for our lives. We declare that we see by the Holy Ghost our part in the body of Christ. We love you, Father. Thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.